If you have your Bibles, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 3 today. Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to speak to you on the subject of greater than we can imagine. Greater than we can imagine. Uh, Ephesians 3.20 and 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forever. Amen. I love that verse. I love that verse. It reminds us that God is able to do far more abundantly than we can even think up. He says if, if we could think it and we could ask for it, he just reminds us that God can do far more than that. That's that an amazing statement. So this morning as we begin our message, I want to start with just three questions for you. And the first one is this, how big are your dreams? If God can do far more than what we think up or that we ask in prayer, how big are your dreams? And I'm not talking about the nightmares that you have from pizza. I'm talking about the dreams that you have in life. Maybe uh, it could be that we as Christians sometimes just don't dream anymore. That we don't have a vision. And the Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. But I think every one of us ought to have big dreams. If you're a parent, you ought to be able to look at your kids and you ought to have big dreams for your kids. If you're a married couple, you ought to not just be satisfied with an average relationship. You ought to have big dreams for your marriage. We, uh, we just get so beat down by this world that we think that certain things are impossible, that there's no way we can ever measure up. But how big are your dreams? D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, said, If God is your partner, make your plans big. And I like that. If he's on our side, let's make them big. As a church, how big are our dreams? Uh, do we want to reach our community for Christ? Do we want to reach Tulare County for Christ? Do we want to reach the world for Christ? How big are our dreams as a church? The second question is this, how big are your prayers? It's one thing to dream something up, but it's another thing to begin to ask God for those things. And probably one of the most neglected areas in the Christian's life is the area of prayer. That we have all these big dreams, but the question is, have we prayed about them? Have we asked God to come through? Have we asked Him to be our partner? Have we asked Him to move in our lives in such a way that we realize those dreams? C.S. Lewis said, For most of us, the prayer in Gethsemane is the only model. Removing mountains, he said, can wait. And I think that's true. We are so content with, with just praying. But the Bible says if we had faith as the grain of a mustard seed, then we could move mountains. But how big are your dreams and how big are your prayers? And the last question is this, as we consider this today, is how big is your God? And really, when we get a hold of that and we begin to understand how big God really is and how great that He really is, then we know that there is no dream that we cannot reach if God is on our side. When we begin to understand how big our God is and how great that He is, then we know that there is no prayer that our God can't answer. We can ask Him for what the world says is impossible, because with men some things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. A British author, Evelyn Underhill, wrote this, and I love this. She says, if God were small enough to be understood, He would not be big enough to be worshipped. And probably the reason that we have so many problems in our lives and in our churches and in this world in Christianity is that our dreams aren't big enough, our prayers aren't big enough, and it all stems from the idea and the understanding that we don't see our God as big as He really is. Remember, He says, our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even hope for. So our text is an encouragement, isn't it? Or maybe it's a warning not to underestimate God. God is so great 
that maybe we'll never fully understand or comprehend his greatness. John Wesley said, Bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. He's a great God. And we'll search for him, and we'll try to search out the depths of God's greatness, and we will never achieve that complete understanding of how great that he really is. In other words, there's no way that we could ever worship him in completion. We, could, we couldn't even begin to understand how great that he is. You and I cannot overestimate God, but many times we underestimate God. Perhaps... What it requires for us to understand the greatness of God is that we be humbled. Because many times we've lifted ourselves up so high as a human race that maybe we've forgotten how much higher God really is. Maybe it's when we've been humbled by life's circumstances that we begin to see how great God is. Maybe then, maybe then the silver lining in life's darkest clouds is revealed that we come closest to understanding God's greatness. Some of the dark moments in life, we don't understand why they happen. We don't understand why things can become so low, but maybe it's at those points that we look up and see how great our God is. Consider Job, an honorable man. The Bible says there was not a man like him in all the earth, and and yet Job was put through the test, wasn't he? Job lost everything. We mentioned Job the other night in our Bible study, and we said Job lost everything, and I think John said except his wife. And, uh, and, that, and, and that was not a good comment, I don't think. But, but Job lost everything. And yet, after losing it all, listen to some of the statements Job made about our God. In Job 5, 8, and 9, he says, As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause. And he said this, Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Now, that you might say it was the words of someone who's just been blessed by God. But Job's lost it all, and he says, God does great things. His greatness is unsearchable. He's done marvelous things that cannot even be numbered. In Job 9 and 10, he says, Who does great things beyond searching out, and marvelous things beyond number. He's lost it all, and yet he lifts up God in his greatness. In Job 26, he says this, By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Job describes some of God's mighty acts, and he says, those are just the the very edges of how great God is. That's just the tip of the iceberg, he says. That's just a small whisper of how great our God really is. In Job 36, he said, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. In Job 37, verse 5, he says, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. It may be in the darkest moments of life that we realize how great our God really is. Back to our text this morning, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we seek or think, ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. His greatness is beyond the limits of our thoughts and our prayers. Beyond our wildest dreams, that's how great God is. 
And this morning, I want to challenge you with maybe four areas where I think we underestimate the greatness of God. And the first one is this. I think God's love is greater than we can imagine. I mean, we all know that God loves us, but I think his love for us is greater than we can even imagine. It's greater than anything we've ever seen on this earth. It is probably beyond comprehension. When you think about a God that would send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world, to die for you and for me, that's a love that is very difficult to understand. Stuart Townsend penned these beautiful words about the love of God. He said, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. I think we underestimate the love of God. Jesus told his disciples, Greater love hath no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. God's love is great. It's amazing. It's beyond our comprehension. We underestimate it. In 1917, Frederick Lehman wrote an amazing hymn called The Love of God. It opens up and it says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Later, Lehman explained that verse 3 of that song had been found penciled on the wall of a patient's room in an insane asylum after he had been carried to his grave. And the third verse read this way, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, he says, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And yet, I believe we underestimate the love of God. In Psalms 117, David proclaimed, he said, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And we can go on and on and talk about God's love, and we could give reference and reference about God's love, but I think we can understand from God's word that his love is underestimated that we just don't realize it. And you may be here this morning, you say, well, I know that God loves me. I've been taught that from a child up. After all, the first song many of us learned in Sunday school was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But I think you could have started in Sunday school wearing diapers, and you might live to be 100 and been in church all of our lives, but I still think God's love is greater than we can ever imagine. It's beyond comprehension. A second thing that we underestimate God in the area of is God's grace is greater than we can imagine. God's grace. Aren't you glad for grace? Grace is what comes down, and even though we deserve to be punished for our sin, God gives us grace. He comes down, and even though maybe we don't really deserve the the greatest things in life, and yet through the grace of God, He gives us good things. Grace is a wonderful thing. And Paul had already written about grace in Ephesians. He'd spoke about grace in chapter 2, and now in chapter 3, he comes along and he says, how great God is. He said this about God's grace in chapter 2, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Grace of God is greater than we can imagine. That he would look down and see us in our sinful state and see us not at our best, but at our very worst, and yet still love us and still be willing to come and die for us. That he would be willing to look beyond our faults and to save us. What grace is that? We sing in our hymnals often the song, and I always love it because of the parts that it breaks out into, but you'll recognize the words, Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. He says, Broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise His name. His grace is amazing. It is wonderful. His grace is greater than all of our sins. Romans 5 and 20, the apostle spoke of God's grace. He said, now the law came in to increase the trespass. And he makes this statement. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what Paul is saying? He was saying, no matter how bad the sin is, God's grace is greater. No matter how deep the sin has taken us, God's grace is greater than all of our sins. And the implication is that God's grace is in proportion to the sin. That the more sin is in our life, the more grace that we receive from God. And isn't that really the truth? That you may have come to Christ at a time when you were young and obviously not a lot of terrible sins in your life. I accepted Jesus Christ when I was seven years old. So I hadn't ever sold drugs. I hadn't ever killed anyone. I hadn't ever you know, been in prison. I hadn't done all those things. Sometimes I hear the testimonies of folks that have done all those things. And I think, man, God's grace is amazing. But really, His grace is amazing in that He saves any of us. Because He said, it's not of works lest anyone should boast. God's grace is amazing. But the Romans heard Paul's words, and they kind of took them out of context. The Romans heard them, and they reasoned this way, that if we want more of God's grace in our lives, all we have to do is commit more sins. More sins equals more grace. And Paul quickly corrected them in Romans 6. He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it. So we can't abuse the grace of God. But we should view God's grace maybe more like the English poet John Newton. He penned these words, and you'll recognize them quickly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Brothers and sisters, God's grace is greater than we can imagine. And you might be here today, and you might feel like you have failed at life. Maybe you failed at things that God has placed before you. Maybe you're struggling in areas that, that you don't think anyone else is struggling at. And you come in before God, and, and you feel humbled, and you feel broken, like, like you just can't measure up. But God's grace is far greater than you can imagine. He looks down, and he sees beyond our sins because of his amazing grace. And we can walk in here today, the most wretched of sinners, and know that the grace of God is greater than all of our sins. Not only that, but God's power is greater than we can imagine. 
How many believe that God is a powerful God? I mean, the Bible describes him in such uh, marvelous terms. Uh, the idea that his voice could actually split trees is an amazing thought. That him stepping on the earth would literally shake the earth and tear the mountains in two. He is a powerful God. Even from the beginning of the Bible, it opens up with a display of God's mighty power. As he steps out on the expanse of nothing, and by his, just his words, he speaks into existence the entire universe. That's a great and powerful God, isn't it? And then he takes the dirt from the earth, the dust of the earth, and he, he tapes it and shapes it into the form of a man. And our powerful God is so powerful that he can take dirt and he can breathe into it the breath of life so that that lump of clay becomes a living soul. That's a powerful God. We see him throughout the scriptures as he challenged the gods of the Egyptians as Moses went into Pharaoh. And one by one, he brought plagues upon the land of Egypt. And each one of them directly attacking one of the false gods of the Egyptians. He is a powerful God that we serve. He was able to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And he provided for them in the wilderness. He watched over them. He led them with a a fire and a cloud. And he brought manna from heaven. And he fed them with birds that fell by the way. He brought water from the rock. He gave them shoes that would not wear out along their journey. He found those who were blind. And he restored their sight. He found the deaf. And he caused them to hear again. He approached the lame who had never walked a day in his life. And he lifted him up and caused him to walk again. He went to the home of Mary and Martha. And he raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. We serve a powerful God. And yet as much as we dig into the greatness of God's power. I think we still underestimate the power of God. It's just one of those things that even if we think we know it all. We've just begun to scrape the surface of God's great power. Paul prayed for the church that they would know the power of God. In Ephesians 1 and 19, he said this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, he says, that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God uh, in the heavenly places. And then he says, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He describes God's power as being above anything this world has. Not just now, but he says for ages to come. You think about some of the the powerful things in this world. Recently, I was watching a television program, a documentary, and they were talking about the atomic bomb. And they showed clips of these tests that were done and different explosions that were made. And and then began to read about Russia and and the Cold War with the United States and the nuclear weapons that we have. And and they say that there's they measure these weapons not so much by one weapon, but by how many times they can destroy the world over and over. Those are some powerful weapons that have risen in our day. But all the way back in Paul's day, he said... Even in the ages to come, there will never arise anything more powerful than our God. Think about that. God is more powerful than all of the nuclear arsenal of any country. He's powerful. In one text, Paul reminds us that God is able to do more than we can imagine or ask because of the power at work within us. That power, he says, is Christ. Jesus displayed the greatness of God's power, didn't he? He went from town to town. He promised his disciples, too, that he would empower them. 
by the Holy Spirit. In John 12, 14, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Can you imagine watching Jesus do these great miracles? And you're in awe of what he has done. And yet Christ says, To those of you who believe in me, you'll do greater works than I do. How can that be? It has to be Christ at work in us. He says, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In the Great Commission, the marching orders for the church, the mission of every Christian, we're promised the power of God, aren't we? He says in Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority or all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he gives the church the command, go therefore, because of this great power that Jesus has, he says, go into all the world, teaching them and baptizing them. We're given the command and we're given the power to do it. The next time we look at something and say, I'm not strong enough to handle this. Remember who indwells you. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The next time you're struggling with raising your kids and you just say, I don't know how much more of this I can take, look to heaven and say, God, with you on my side, I can take anything. The next time you're struggling to hold your marriage together and and you say, it's futile, there's no way it's going to happen, get on your knees and pray to a God who says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The next time you look at your budget and say, there is no way these things are going to work out, understand that there is a God who is all-powerful that could divide five loaves and a few fishes among thousands. And if he can do that with little, he can do the same thing in your life. We serve a powerful God, but we underestimate his great power. Acts says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Don't underestimate the power of God. His power is greater than we can ever think or imagine or ask. There is nothing he cannot do. And finally, God's plan is greater than we can imagine. You know that God has a plan. He's not unorganized. He's not chaotic. He's not a mess. He has a plan. There are some that go through life without a plan. I'm a spontaneous type person, and it drives my wife and my children crazy. I can get in the car and head out on a trip and not even know where I'm going. And they'll say, where are you going? We'll find out when we get there. It drives them nuts. But God has not taken us on a journey to some unknown place. He knows exactly where we're going. Even in the Old Testament, when he called Abraham to follow him, Abraham, the Bible says, by faith followed God to a land that he did not know. But he's saying that Abraham did not know that land. God knew all along where he would take Abraham. God has a plan. And in Ephesians, Paul spoke of that plan. In Ephesians 1, he, we're told that God planned to adopt sons and daughters. He uses that word, he planned or he purposed. In Ephesians 1.9, we're told that God planned or purposed to send Jesus Christ to be our Savior. In 1.11, he said that God made everything work together according to his plan or his purpose. And in 1.12, it tells us that God planned to reach the Jews first and then the Gentiles. God has a plan. 
And his plan is far greater than we can imagine. Jeremiah 29. Many times we hear this verse, and it is so powerful. And it is written specifically to a people group. But I believe the principle that God still has a plan applies to every one of us. Maybe not the details, but the idea, the understanding that God works within a plan for our lives. He says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Listen, God has a plan for every one of your lives. And there are times, aren't there, when it seems like everything is out of control. There are times maybe in your home when it just seems like we're just blowing every which way. There are times maybe when your career feels like that. Maybe life, just in general, it just feels so out of control. But God is always in control. He always has a plan. This morning, you need to know that God has a plan. He's got a plan for your life. Life might seem out of control, but rest assured, God has a plan. And it was a plan that started long before you and I ever existed. Think about that. Before we were even born into this world, God already had a plan for us. Several prophets in the scripture refers to them as being called even when they were in their mother's womb. God had a plan. He knew you, the Bible says, before the world existed. God has a plan. If he knew you before the world existed, then he has made a plan for your life. And he loved us. And he loved you knowing that you would not be perfect. That you'd be a sinner. So you might be here and you might be thinking, well, I know that God planned on loving me, but I I messed up. God knew that you'd mess up. And God made a plan. God has a great plan for you and me and for all of us. And that plan is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. And you know what? He planned ahead for that. He paid the penalty for our sins, and he did it ahead of time. I mean, think about that. It's one thing that Jesus came and that he died for the sins of all of mankind because he knew what those sins were. They had been accumulated up to until that point in time, and he walks in and he says, I'm going to pay for all these sins that have been committed. Jesus just didn't die for those sins. He died for all the sins that we would ever commit. That's amazing. You ever been somewhere and had someone pay your bill? That's an interesting feeling. I've had it happen just a few times in in the Bay Area. That's something they do on the Bay Bridge when you cross and pay your toll. And you just want to freak people out. You pay their toll behind you. And you go, oh, great. You paid my toll. Wonderful. I remember one time I was in a restaurant and someone paid my bill. And that was even more wonderful. But if they came along and said, I've paid your bill. And in fact, I've paid for every bill that you will ever acquire from now on. That would be really amazing. And do you know that's God's plan? He's paid for every sin you've ever committed. And you know what? Whatever sin you may ever commit in the future, Christ has already paid the price for those sins. 
All that it requires is that we confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God has a plan. When Jesus died on the cross, that was part of God's plan. The world may have looked at that and said, man, things have gone awry. The plan has been messed up. Satan is winning. Jesus has been nailed to the tree. He's died. It's over. It's done. It's finished. That was part of the plan. And three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death, the penalty of sin. God has a plan. In Hebrews chapter 2, I want you to consider this when you know that God has a plan for our salvation. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared to you by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, listen to what he says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Do you see that? God has a plan. And you have to ask yourself, how will I ever escape judgment if I neglect the plan that God has already laid out? We can't make our own plans. God has the plan. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. God is greater than we can imagine. So much greater than we can imagine. His love is greater. His grace is greater. His power is greater. And His plan is greater than we can imagine. Arthur Pink said this, Happy the soul that has been awed by a view of God's majesty. If you want true joy in your life, get a glimpse of how great God is. How big is your dream this morning? What is it that you want God to do in your life? What is it that you desire above everything else? Because we're told that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. How big is your prayer this morning? Do we just hear these types of things about the power of God and forget to fall on our knees and cry out to God? How big are your prayers? And most importantly this morning, how big is your God? Do you understand how great our God is? It's a great and powerful God. Let's stand. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for all that you do for us. God, you indeed are worthy to be praised. You are great. You are powerful. You are amazing. Your love is beyond understanding. Your grace is unbelievable, God. God, the plan that you laid out for our life is an amazing plan. To think, God, that you would send your own Son all the way from heaven to earth to die on an old rugged cross for our sins, to be buried and to rise again. God, thank you for having a plan. We would be so lost and hopeless without your plan for our lives. Forgive us, God, for doubting you. 
forgive us, God, for underestimating you. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would fall on our knees before you.